0: This podcast contains discussion of Indian residential schools that could be distressing for some listeners. A National Indian Residential School Crisis Line has been set up to provide support for former students and those affected. People can access emotional and crisis referral services by calling the 24-hour National Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419. We would like to first acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory. The traditional gathering grounds for many diverse indigenous peoples, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked this land and whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community.
1: We would also like to acknowledge that recognition is nothing without action. And we invite our listeners to take actions towards reconciliation with us today in honor of Orange Shirt Day. You can easily take action by supporting indigenous creators and make sure you know where your orange shirt is coming from and where the funds from it are going to. Hello and welcome back to Research Recasted, the interdisciplinary knowledge mobilization podcast where we're disseminating research at the source. I'm Dylan Cave and I'm here with my co-host, Brittany Eklund.
0: Today, we're going to talk listening, learning, and the importance of including research subjects in the research process. Here with us in studio is Dr. Emily Milne, an associate professor in the Department of Sociology at McCune University. Emily is an applied sociologist and community-engaged researcher, and her research aims to inform policy and contribute to meaningful change. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us here today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So, um, I guess let's dive right in. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey as a researcher and what kind of drew you to community-based research?
2: Sure. So, um, my I feel like I have a, a social responsibility to contribute to society in a positive way. Um, and try to make meaningful change in the world so i feel like you know you spend all this time in university um, getting all these skills and um, you know i have all these resources and so i feel it's really important for me and my job as an academic and somebody who you know is part of this community to be able to contribute in a meaningful way um, and so i feel i have a responsibility to do that to use my skills and resources to um, to help others in some way that i can um, and that's kind of where this came from but and take a step back, um, I attended um, all my graduate schooling. My undergraduate schooling was at research-intense institutions. And so I was really trained with more traditional kinds of research approaches. So what that means is just, you know, typically researchers, they design research questions. They um, go out, collect Uh, data, uh, and then they analyze it themselves. They disseminate it themselves into academic, um, publications and, and, um, avenues, uh, conferences and things like that. Um, and kind of owning that data. And so that's how I was trained, uh, to do research, but I always felt like I wanted to do things a little bit differently. And so when I was hired at McEwen, I just felt this was an opportunity to, uh, really start exploring, um, research and, and methods and approaches to research that I felt kind of resonated with me and I felt was appropriate um, or what I want to do in my heart. So following my heart, I don't even think I knew it was called community engaged research or community based research. It was just kind of something I wanted to do. Um, and so that's kind of, I started just spending time in community, listening and learning. Um, I'm a sociology of education person. So I just started spending time in schools, uh, building relationships.
1: I really love the the approach that you took. Like you, like you said, when you have all these resources available to you, um, it's it's like the superpower thing. Like you only use your superpowers for good. And so I really, yeah, I think that's fantastic.
2: Yeah. And I still do publish in academic journals, but I do, it's one aspect of my knowledge dissemination because it's, you know, kind of a bigger initiative. So I do teach a professional development. I do, um, you know, any kind of social media stuff or, or, um, you know, things like this that we're doing, um, and then also, uh, you know, um, conferences, but also, uh, you know, presentations, reports. So I spend a lot of time giving that knowledge back. So instead of kind of being driven by a research question that I've created in my head and then I collect that, do- that data and keep it, my goal is to do projects with and for community partners and give that knowledge back in some way. So whenever I do a project, I'm like one little piece of a broader project pie, right? So everybody, all the community partners I work with all contribute and I do my little piece, but my piece doesn't work unless everybody comes together. So it's doing research with community partners, for community partners, and giving that knowledge back to community partners in a meaningful way.
0: And why education and education policy? Like what kind of led you to be interested in education and specifically like with children and and adult or what do you call them? Adolescents? Adolescents. (laughs)
2: Yeah. um, So there's, I guess, two things I would say to that. I would say that, you know, Um, everybody grows up and has different things, you know, challenges or barriers or different things they're growing up and have. And I know, you know, all kids have that. And I definitely had my own as well. And I really felt that within education, there were some, um, I found a place where I was supported. Um, There were certain teachers that really took time to believe in me and support me. In particular, there was a prof I had in my post-secondary studies, my undergrad, um, or in my undergrad, and then also in my grad studies that, you know, uh, really believed in me and supported me as a person. And I found that when you have that, you know, I've ended up believing in myself. And so I just really valued and um, appreciated the education that I received. um, And I feel like it really shaped who I am um, as a person um, and my whole trajectory in my life. So I feel like education has been fundamental for myself and who I am. Um, But then the second piece of that is that I really do believe in education. So I really do feel that, um, you know, education, you know, in an ideal world, if everything works the way it's supposed to, right, if everything happens the way it's supposed to, I just really feel that education, um, you know, starting little, there's teachers, there's supports, there's so many resources, um, you know, wraparound services, um, you know, it's like a community hub, there's food banks, there's, um, you know, all these different um, connections and supports there to support kids. So teachers really do have a role in identifying issues and needs in kids really early on and almost kind of being that Preventative or proactive um, kind of you know force in their lives, right? Or maybe force is the wrong word, but they're there to support kids um, in a meaningful way, in a positive way, and can really help uh, shape their lives in a good way. And I believe in that. Um, and so yes, there are issues with education for sure, um, but because I believe in my experience, I, I went through it. I, I value my education, and I believe in what education can be. I really want to be part of that journey to make it better
1: in is, some way. Is yeah. there is there any uh, mentors? or professors in your, in your undergraduate or graduate degrees that, um, you want to like spotlight that you'd like to just like give a shout out saying, you know, thank, thank you to this person or, um, somebody that inspired you to want to push towards the career that you're in now.
2: Sure, so, um, yeah. And you don't have to
1: name names, but you can. I, I can mean you name can. names. You, you there's, name. <laughs> yeah, there's two people
2: who I would say really did make an impact on me. And so Dr. Jana Serini at the University of Waterloo and uh, Scott Davies, Dr. Scott Davies at um, U of T were both really fundamental in my educational journey, Um, really took me under their wing um, and really guided me and supported me. Um, And they work in the field of education, so it was just kind of a natural fit Um, and, you know, followed them around and participated with all their research and was their research assistant for a long time. And um, so they really guided my journey. But again, that comes back to the value of education, not only like my education was so um, and them being part of that, I would say, what just really shaped who I am and so I just love the idea of being part of that journey for others and shaping others, but they really helped me a lot for sure.
0: Yeah. Was like research always the plan as well? Because I think it's really interesting, you know, all the things you said about valuing education and having gone through that experience and having it guide you here. I feel like a lot of people that become teachers or elementary or junior high teachers, they had an experience that made them want to contribute to that. But you kind of went beyond that. So not only are you now a professor in like post-secondary, but- You're also a researcher that changes education policy from inside. So did you start out as like, I want to be a researcher that's going to like change education? Or did you ever just like want to be a teacher? Like where did that
2: kind of happen? Sure, sure. So um, I grew up in um, uh, the Waterloo area in Ontario. Uh, And there it is really, really hard to become a teacher. And I remember growing up wanting to be a teacher. Um, and I did like my co-op placement in high school and like a kindergarten class. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a teacher. But where I grew up, it was almost impossible to become a teacher because there's just so many people waiting to get jobs. And so it was, um, you know, if you want to become a teacher, it's like a seven year wait and you're, you know, a, you know, you're a supply teacher forever and ever and ever. And you just hope you get the position. So it took, so it just, it didn't, it was never really seen as an option to be honest. Um. And so I valued education. I, I, you know, wanted to be involved in education, um, but it didn't really seem like that was the best approach, to be honest. It just wasn't really on the table. And that's how education and being a teacher was kind of talked about, to be honest, when I was going through school. So I didn't really think that was an option for me. Um, And then everything just kind of... It's funny now reflecting, and you'll, I'm sure, see this in your lives, but like I'm always really reflecting back on my life there's been so many times where I've been so anxious and so worried nothing's gonna work out and I don't know what I'm doing right same. yeah, oh my yeah, yeah like same. The time, all the time all the time, all the time. and yeah all the time and you never think anything's gonna work out and everything's falling apart and you don't know what you're doing or what path you're going on but like um and it's funny because my husband says this to me all the time and I shouldn't admit out loud that he's right but Um, But it's true, he always says everything works out and things will all work out the way they're supposed to and the way they're meant to. And honestly, I can look back now and say that everything happened the way that it should, but I can only now reflect on that and say like, I recognize that that led to this and that led to this and that led to this and that's how I'm here now. But in the time you don't know what's going on, right? And you're all, there's no book on like the life of what you're supposed to do. Um, So I found that very stressful, but that's the reality is I think everything just worked out and fell into place the way that it was supposed to looking back now. Um, And so education-
1: Hard work though. Yes,
2: for sure. Yes, 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 for sure. You,
1: but I'm sure you worked your butt off I did. to get to where you are <laughs> definitely, today. Definitely,
2: definitely. But I would say I didn't know at the time where I was going. And, you know, definitely I worked, you know, as you know, you know, you work as hard as you can all the time. But looking back, I think I was I was unsure of where I was going. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. Um, and so I education, being a teacher wasn't really seen as an option. And then I ended up kind of, I found sociology, I loved what I was doing, um, you know, it made sense to me in my head for how I wanted to study people, I want to work with people, but like there's so many different avenues you can go in to do that work, right? You could do social work, you can be, you know, um, a psychologist, you can do all these different avenues, but sociology just made sense to me in my head of how I wanted to do my work. And then I, you know, found this sociology of education area within within sociology and I thought, well, that made sense. And then Mm -hmm. fast forward now, finding applied sociology and community engaged work within that area, everything, like I found my home I'm supposed to be in. Um, even though along the way, I don't think I really knew, you know what I mean? Like you just kind of keep doing the next thing
0: and you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, this is
2: good. I'm supposed to be here (laughs) and I'm glad I'm here. It's just, I think along the way I wasn't always sure.
0: It's a whirlwind too. And like being in something and especially if you've ever done something where you might be struggling or like imposter syndrome is real. Yeah. So finding yourself in the middle of like, Oh my gosh, I'm actually this like really well established really well-respected human being and like, what happened? I'm just me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that. And I think that's a great, great um, lesson for anybody listening. Just like, you know, you may not be in the place that you want to be right now, but if you just keep keep doing the thing, working hard and, um, you know, things do kind of line up if you if you want them to, I guess.
2: Yeah. And I'd say for sure, because you may have students listening, too, but I Mm -hmm. honestly just think you may not know you're making progress towards that goal, but you are. Um, And sometimes we don't realize that. Like I'm a teacher, so like part of this is my reflecting on students and, and, you know, my journey as a student, but also what I talk to my students about. And like you don't know how much progress you are making at the time because I think there's so much going on, but you're always making steps forward towards that goal, even though if you may not know exactly what it is. And so just, you know, as a teacher or something else I should say is because we're on this topic is like putting yourself out there, um, you know, getting research assistant positions, volunteering in the community, putting yourself out there like COVID makes everything hard and is wrecked. So many things, but, but like generally speaking, putting yourself out there, just getting involved. If you find something you're interested in, whatever that is, just, you know, volunteering with that organization, getting real experience um, is great for your resume, but it also makes connections for networking, for jobs and things like that, reference letters, but it really helps you know what you want to do. Um, and I think oftentimes, you know, students don't really I wish I would have done that. And so that's what I always mm-hmm. tell my students, like get out there, just go spend time. That's what I did. That's how I ended up, you know, in doing community engaged work. Like all my projects are from that. Go out, listen, learn. Yeah. And things come from that. And I believe. in. Well, that. and make friends with the fear and like, don't be afraid that you don't know enough to do
0: something. Just do it. You'll learn along the way. Yeah. And I think that that's like because
2: you feel something doesn't mean it's true either. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And volunteering, I think, is a good way because instead of saying, "Oh, pay me for this," I'm new to this, right? Like, you know, volunteering and just saying I can be here and be a supporter, you be got a some service. leeway. <laughs> yeah, like getting I'm the free. foot in the door
1: is huge. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And volunteering, I think, is just a great way to do that. So,
0: okay, so um, yeah, let's talk about Ben Calf Rope Elementary um, and Junior High School. I just want to kind of if you could tell us about that project and in a way that we are hoping that lots of people listen to this. So not all of them are academics. I mean, neither of us is really a researcher. So if you could explain it in a way that I can understand it, that would be amazing.
2: Sure. So there's two, um, uh, there's really kind of two projects I've been working on. Um, I've been working on one with Edmonton Public Schools and that one's just kind of come to a close um, and the Ben Calfrobe one is one that's kind of ongoing so those have kind of been two big projects that have been you know taken up a huge amount of space in my life. Um, Edmonton Public one is just kind of finished up but I can talk about both today um, the one with Ben Calfrobe so um, and this goes back to how I started projects as well so I can also share how I started yeah, that. Yeah
0: absolutely thank you. So
2: um, just listening and learning so what I found was I you know, as soon as I moved to Edmonton I didn't know one person right when I I got hired here and I just started spending time in school. So just volunteering, right? Like I do the same thing. Everyone does that. I think that's a great place to start listening, learning. Um, and so I was volunteering in a school, spending time there, talking to the teachers. And I met this really great, um, you know, educator there who said, you have to go to Bencalf. You have to go to Bencalf. You have to go, you have to go, you have to go. And I was like, okay. So I contacted them, um, and I started volunteering and I volunteered there for a year. And, uh, it was um, it was a great school, as all schools are. They're full of amazing students, amazing educators, people who want to um, just you know. I just love schools. There's so many amazing people there, um, and so I just volunteered there for a year, and I started listening and learning um, about what people wanted. So that's how my projects start. Is I spend time listening, learning, um, and that way I'm able to kind of see okay, so what's important, right? Mm-hmm. Like what do you want? Like what are needs, issues that the organization has? So listening to students, listening to educators. Um, and then a project I find comes naturally from that once you've built relationships. So fundamentally my projects start with building relationships. So volunteering, great way to do that, spending time listening, learning, finding out what they want and how I can contribute in a positive way towards that. So had relationships in place. And I started talking to the administrators there and they said, you know, we started talking about what we could do together. Um, instead of me kind of volunteering or doing whatever, it's like, well, how can we do a project together? So that came naturally from me just hanging out all the time. Um, and then from that, um, you know, I went to the PTA. So I started spending time there. Um, and I just started hearing over and over, So the Parent Teacher Association. So yeah. I talked to them, talked to everybody. And what I was hearing over and over again is that, that their school is really old, the school building. So the school building was built so, so, so long ago. And it's falling apart. Yeah. Um, and they have a beautiful new building that's being built right now, like millions and millions of dollars. It's like a beautiful, beautiful new school building, which is awesome. But at the same time, that school building that they were in, And it it meant more than just like the bricks and the walls. And, you know, it was a place that was meaningful because family had gone there. So siblings had gone there. Cousins had gone there. Parents Mm -hmm. had gone there. It was a place that was meaningful, um, you know, as a space, a meaningful, significant place. And so everybody I heard over and over again, they were excited about the new school, but also sad that this current school was going to be torn
1: down. Um, Yeah. You know that we, we went through that same transition with Allard Hall coming from the old uh, orange hub building <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was just so much so it seemed like so much love and like yeah. um character stained into the carpets and like yes. It, yes. it just was like a warm place that everybody felt that they were comfortable with because they were new mm. or they not that they were new that they were in the space for such a long time yeah and I had I had family members that had attended school there yeah. and so it was like always a goal for me and then um one of the main reasons why I wanted made the big push to come to the university was because of this new facility with all this brand new equipment yeah, yeah, and brand new yeah. facilities and then when i got here i said it's just there's no art on the walls Yeah. there's there's yes, no yes, yes, yes. stains in the carpets yes. there's yeah. it doesn't have any character yet and yeah. slowly we're gonna i think start to build to that where it's not you know this isn't a hospital sterile local uh, yeah. place this is a place full of uh, community engagement yep. and art and feeling and yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. The, i and totally hard. understand what you're saying well, about- and,
0: and yeah sorry to interrupt but like ben calf robe is also kind of a unique school is it yes. not because it's can you just give like if people listening don't know what or where ben calf is can you just tell them about the school and then about the new
2: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. for sure. So, um, again, so this is so it was a beautiful school built so so long ago. But the thing is, is it is an Indigenous program of choice, and so there's some you know 400 students that go there, um, and they all identify as Indigenous, Um, and so it's a specific program that they have at that school where there's elders, there's land-based teachings, um, and so it's really woven into the foundation of that school, Um, and so it's a beautiful space. The rooms have all been like um, you're saying um, painted, so. Uh, through generations, families, when they were there, they painted, all the walls are painted. There's been murals that have been commissioned, but also from the kids and the teachers, like, you know, the ceiling tiles have been painted and everything reflects the people who have been there. Um, And so it's a meaningful space for many reasons. Mm -hmm. Like things have just always happened at that school, beautiful traditional rooms. Um, And so it's a very significant place. One of my favorite things about that school is even um, like when the kids were in kindergarten, um, they drew pictures of themselves. And then they had an artist come in and project those exact images on all the walls. And so when you go into that school, there are these huge, like, you know, almost life size drawings that the children had drawn in kindergarten on all the walls. And they're oh all holding gosh. hands. Like, so <laughs> all these kids are along all the walls, these images. And then those kids grow up in that school and they see that their picture is there. They drew of themselves and now they're graduating. Like, it's just, it's, it has they so come much back character.
1: years later and it's still, it's still there. there. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so
2: that character is just, it's, you know, the feeling, the heart, the, um, you You know, the spirit of that school is you can feel it like and again, that comes from the love of the people who were there, the amazing teachers and students Mm -hmm. there. But it just you feel you feel it in the school. And so that was the thing. People are excited about the new, beautiful, amazing school, but there's that feeling there. And so um, the bigger project we we thought about doing was what about student engagement? Um, And so student leadership, students taking an active role in their learning, directing their learning, um, you know, being active participants in their learning and that, you know, shaping their educational journeys and and shaping educational processes and taking leadership in that. And so what we all decided, so consulting with everybody, spending all this time doing that, we thought, well, you know, this school will be torn down, you know, exciting new school, but it is a little bit sad. I heard that over and over and over again. So that Mm -hmm. drove this project. So what we decided to do was um, also because kids, sometimes it's hard to talk to them. You know, what are your feelings and what do you think about this? It's kind of hard for a child to be able to articulate that or a youth, right? Um, But one way we could do that was through art. Um, and one way that makes it easier than that um, is everybody takes pictures all the time. So the parents were like, oh, my kid doesn't put down his phone. They're taking pictures of everything. Right. So it's like, OK, ha-ha, gotcha. Right. <laughs> like That's a perfect way in. So what we ended up doing was and again, it just builds and builds and builds. Then, you know, working in collaboration, you know, everybody had these amazing ideas. So what we ended up doing was I was teaching, co-teaching a photography class on Thursday mornings with a teacher, Stephen Campbell, who is amazing. Um, and I'm not a photographer, I'm not an artist. So here I am teaching a photography class with this teacher <laughs> who is a math teacher, who but amazing. So we did the best we could, you know, broaden people. Um, we learned about, uh, so that that's what it ended up becoming, but it was a photo voice project. So, and we worked every Thursday morning with these kids. And so to take a step back, the purpose of this was that the kids had the responsibility. We invited them, whoever wanted to sign up for this, we invited them to come and take responsibility of capturing the essence of this school while it is still up. Right. So they had their cameras, they had their little press passes. And oh my so, gosh. yeah, we That's sent so them out. Yeah. We learned about cameras. We learned about um, photography, photo editing. Um, and so they went out and documented the school with a guiding question of like, what's important to you about this school. Um, and photo voice is a way, um, you know, it's a community engaged, uh, you know, um, process and approach where they take photos to, um, you know, capture, um, you know, what's important to them. It's a way to share their voice. Um, you you know, um, identify issues and, and their needs and things like that, uh, through photos. So, uh, taking photos, writing captions, um, and then also, um, uh, so writing captions and titles. And so it was a way where, you know, they, again, took that responsibility to capture what was meaningful for them about their school. Um, and so that was, you know, we had a photo exhibit. Unfortunately, it was canceled with COVID, but reports that came from that. And then those pictures are moving forward to be a permanent art installation in the new school that's titled Where We're From.
1: That's amazing. I I, I think that's so unique that um, our last guest on our podcast, Cynthia Cynthia. Per- Pudu, I always pronounce <laughs> Pudu. it Pudu, <laughs> Pudu. Thank you. Um, created a project called Voices from the Streets, yep. um, where th- where she had gone out and given cameras to people and and said, you know, just like show me, show me your world, essentially, and mm-hmm. through through photo. And it's just such a beautiful collection uh, of photography, and it's like some of it. Um, once you dig into the story behind the photos is is some of them are extremely heartbreaking some of them are extremely heartwarming mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, it's a re- I, I, a beautiful collection um and i'm excited to see that that's like a, a common thing to do it where we uh, from, from some of your research presentation and dissemination as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. So when you're talking to people, sometimes it's, you know, and so I'm a qualitative person. So I sit down and I talk to people, right. I'm not always the one being interviewed, which is harder for sure. Um, but I'm always the one who's, you know, um, facilitating focus groups and interviews and things like that. But But sometimes people don't want to talk like it's, it's,
1: it's a barrier.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so especially working with youth, um, when you say, you know, take pictures of what's meaning, they take pictures all the time. That was something parents said, I can't get my kid to put their phone down. They love taking pictures. Great. This is an avenue. So we learned about cameras, learned about photography um, and photo voice is that way that really empowers people to share their voice. Um, and, I, you know, like I said, um, you know, identifying issues that are important to them, um, you know, engaging uh, this project really engaged and um, empowered students as leaders and as education partners as well. So they went out, um, took pictures, wrote about them. So what was meaningful for for you. They journaled about them, gave them amazing titles, Um, but then it was a point where we could say, okay, well, why is this meaningful for you? And looking at their pictures, why did you take this picture? Let's talk about that. So it's a great place to start. Um, And the kids loved it. um, And they really honestly, we're so proud of the work that they did. Um, and when they are the researchers, so I'm more of a facilitator in the background, right? It's my projects happen best and my best projects are when you don't see me at all, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not my voice, it's their voice that's featured here. And, um, and I love that. So that's what that project is. And so unfortunately it was, uh, paused because of COVID, but we're starting again in the fall with a new cohort of kids. Um, but the same thing. So they ran around, took the pictures of the school. Um, they picked two pictures that best reflected what was most yeah. significant for them about the school wrote the captions, the titles, and they're so, um, you know, this is what they wanted, you know, and they edited them in all these different ways and, but that's their voice and what they wanted to share. We had this big photo exhibit planned here at McEwen. Like I said, it was canceled because of COVID yeah. unfortunately, but we did the reports. Um, and, uh, like these I These reports
1: s- are beautiful. Like Thank they're you. so well put together. Yeah. I absolutely love this. Like this, this is like a zine that I would like pick up <laughs> and, You'd keep it. Yeah. Like this is a a wonderful thing to, to show your research it's very beautiful
0: and this yeah. is an ongoing project so they haven't yeah. moved to the new school yet
2: no we have one more year so we're going back in the fall this year kind of was funny okay. cuz of covid we're going back in the fall to do it again with a no co- new cohort of kids but the you know they so last cohort they had shirts they started calling themselves the rise of 17 because i was like oh artists have a group name instead of like class right photography class you know what do you want to be called um they were working on you know their artist signatures you know the, so cuz of foip they can't have their first and last name but they were i was like well when you're growing up no one can read your signature anyway like this this mm-hmm. is artistic, right? So they were using their initials to have these, they were practicing them and signing, you know, what they, you know, their photos and stuff. It was amazing. Um, so they had their shirts that they had designed, um, this exhibit we were going to do. So the reports, but then what we're doing now, the third piece of that. So the photo exhibits, we're going to do them again. COVID will be over, right? Eventually. It will be over. Yeah, eventually it'll be over. <laughs> we'll be able to come back outside and have exhibits like you normal. can't wait. Yep. Yeah. Reports are the second thing um, and then permanent art installations in the new school that capture what this school was about. So it'll be called Where We're From. It will include all these pictures the kids took and this big, huge art installations at the new school um, and, you know, capturing, again, the school through the kids' eyes, what was important to them. And so that's how moving forward we'll be remembering the school um, through these reports and through this art that the kids are doing. So this is what school wanted. The kids wanted to be involved in it. Um, They saw themselves reflected in that um, and, you know, they were proud of the work that they did.
1: This is this is so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that that with us. We're going to take a quick break.
2: Okay,
0: it is ad time. Um, I don't know about you, but food is definitely my language of love. And what better to fuel the fires of affection than the marriage of caramel and cornflakes? Meet caramunchies, slow cooked in small batches. These chewy treats make snacking with a conscience easy. And I will tell you why. Instead of just donating money, um, Caramunchies started a hot lunch program where they use 5% of all their profits to buy ingredients and gather volunteers to provide hot, nutritious lunches through the Marion Center. So, if you're into snacking for the greater good, swing by McEwen and grab a bag or two next time you're in the neighborhood or visit caramunchies.com for a full list of locations or to order online. Shall I? Please do. All right. Welcome back to Research Recasted. We are here with Dr. Emily Milne. We just talked about where we are from, a project at calf Robe. Um, what else have you been working on, Emily, that you'd like to share with us today?
2: Thanks. Uh, So a big project that we just uh, finished uh, was a project we did in partnership with Edmonton Public Schools. Um, And so same way, I always start uh, projects based in relationships. So I was, you know, spending time in schools, listening, learning, spent a lot of time at the division um, office, uh, trying to find out, um, you know, how I could be of service um, and what I could do that was meaningful and would contribute in a positive way. Um, So what would be something I could I could do? Right. Uh, And so listening, learning. I ended up uh, talking to a lot of people that talked about uh, student success and parent involvement, Um, and I've spent a lot of time in that space um, talking to people about uh, those two things. And so it seemed to be, you know, this is what, um, you know, was identified as something that uh, the school division had wanted. Well, it started off as something a bit different, and once you ethics probably doesn't like me very much at this point our ethics office because uh, you know the emergent nature especially of community engaged research you always kind of start off with you know a plan so you spent maybe a year designing a plan in the project you apply for ethics to make sure you can go out and do it and then you get into schools you start talking to people and then other people right so principals people working in schools say oh what about this what about this you're like wow that's much better than what we were going to do we should do that instead <laughs> yeah. so then you go back and do an ethics modification and then you do that and start incorporating that into your project so my projects always kind of morph over time just naturally because you spend more time listening learning and and things kind of get better right you add a you know something take something
1: away that's part of the learning experience exactly
2: exactly so that always happens with research i find with my work right cuz you're i'm with people who are help guiding this work i um, think if
1: if your research goal or if your research project doesn't change you're not learning anything. Yeah. You yeah. already knew what you went into. So yeah. your, your hypothesis yeah. is not changed. Yeah, or You're <laughs>
0: literally the luckiest
2: person on earth that just was like, I have a question. Oh, answered. Cool. Yeah. And that's <laughs> and I think that's how traditional research tends to be. Right. Because academics have a question they come in with um, and then go out and collect that data and then leave. Whereas mine is more of, you know, working with community partners. So it does change and evolve over time because the needs of community partners change over time as well. Also with staffing changes, um, you know, all these different things that keep happening. Different priorities identified by government funding organizations. All these things it does change over time because I also spend years and years working with community organizations before things, before projects even happen. And then when it does happen, two years later, you know you're still working on things and you're like, oh wow, this is a neat thing to add, or we can adjust this or adjust that. And so working in an authentic partnership means okay, when someone brings something forward and says we should do this or do this or not do that, it's like yes, that's a really important consideration. You know, uh, we should do something about that. So projects do change, and this one did. Um, and and so it evolved over time and ended up being a project that looked at student success and also parent involvement um, in education, working with Indigenous um, youth and in parents of Indigenous youth. And so what I find, um, and so this that's what we ended up doing. So doing a project that looked at how um, parents and students uh, define. Student success. So Indigenous parents, or sorry, so Indigenous kids and youth, and also parents of Indigenous students. So how are they defining student success? Uh, what does it mean to them? Um, and then also talking about parent involvement in education. So what does that mean? How are we defining that? What are barrier successes to that? So looking at so from your perspective, sharing your voice. What does this mean? And um, also what are promising practices around these as well? So parent involvement in student success. Um, they kind of sound a little different, but they're actually very closely connected. Um, when you you're talking about student success, you know, um, and students, you know, within their education journey, um, parents are kids first teachers right? They know everything about their kids. Um, and so over and over and over again, you hear how important it is for parents to be involved in their children's education, but not all parents participate the same way. Yeah, um, And so whenever you, you know, for example, even the Alberta Education Act has specific responsibilities for parents that say, you know, you must write and responsibilities involve, you know, having positive relationships with teachers and being actively involved in the school or whatever that language is, but it's along that, those lines, right? So parents are have a role within their education, within kids' education. So both of those things are very closely connected. Um, And so this project, same as the Ben Cafro project, and all my projects tend to be about voice. Um, And so taking time to say, what does this mean to you? Um, and how can we better support you? So um, when it's funny being an academic and being a teacher, um, you know, when I students submit something to me, one of the first things I do is I look for like, OK, so define your terms, right? You're using all these terms. You don't define what they mean. Yeah. Well, when you look at like education reports, they'll use the word success, student success hundreds of times, but never tell you what it means. It's like a secret. So you must <laughs> achieve this, but we're not going to tell you what it is, right? It's like a big mystery. So the thing with that is that everyone, you know, might mean something different when that when we're not talking about the same thing or we don't really have an understanding of what that means. We say it all the time, but what does it mean? Um, And I think that's really important. And so taking time to say, what does this mean to you? Um, And so we did that. And so spent time listening, learning, um, having opportunity to come together and have parents talk about what success, student success meant for them, for their kids, and um, how do we try to achieve that. Um, and also with students. Um, and, you know, as we talked about with the Ben Cafro project, like when whenever you talk to people, um, you know, students and parents, they have so much insight. Um, and I do find, again, with all my projects tend to be around voice, right. And giving meaningful participation and engagement and having time to share, um, insights and knowledge um, from different perspectives. But like, you know, education tends to happen to kids and families versus with them, which I find is very interesting because education is for kids. Yeah. Right. Like they are at the center of the education process. But like how often are they consulted or asked or part of it, like designing what education looks like or or even just part of, you know, um, decision making or feeling like they're leaders within education. Not often. Right. Which is which is strange when you think about it. Right. And so a good example of that is I was at a school. And um, there was a, I just always use example because I think it's just so true some, you know, of, of, you know, many people's perspectives. Um, but I was talking to an administrator and she was saying, well, I have a, I'm having an issue with, um, you know, indigenous students in attendance. Um, and I've tried this, tried this, tried this, tried this, tried this. I said, well, did you ask the students? Like, what's going on? She said, no, it didn't, didn't occur to me. I said, like, okay, did you ask, <laughs> did you ask the parents? And she said, no, that didn't occur to me. It's like, okay, well, you know they are fundamentally part of this process. And so oftentimes I think processes, policies, initiatives are designed without without engagement of of parents and students. Yeah, big time. And we don't often think about that. So this work and a lot of the work I do is bringing them in the, you know, parents and kids in the centre of it and saying, what do you think? What would you like? What is your vision of success? And when you ask, it actually turns out it's very different, right? People have very different ideas. The typical school system definition tends to be about, you know, attendance, uh, test scores, grades, high school completion. But when you talk to kids, when you talk to um, parents, in the project that we did, you know, it, it looks a little bit different. It's about self-fulfillment and, you know, doing things that are meaningful, achieving personal goals that they've identified so that their education is meaningful for them. Yes, uh, you know, high school completion and grades and things came up, but it was kind of secondary to these other things of, you know, being a good person, being well, so well-being, so emotional, um, physical, uh, social well-being, all these things, having a spiritual, cultural yeah. connection. I mean, that
0: makes sense because long term as a human being, like, yes, I guess test scores matter. Yes, I guess good attendance in school probably helps you get better test scores, but that the core of who you are as a person, like learning empathy, learning kindness, responsibility, and that fulfillment of personal goals, yeah. I think is so much more important to teach young people than you just have to memorize this so you yeah. get a good grade so yeah. like people get off your back. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. not yeah. really- And
2: belonging, yeah. And so people talked about those are important, but they were kind of like an outcome- uh, or a result of feeling cared for, being happy, mm-hmm. feeling belonging in school, um, you know, being well. So general well-being, social, emotional, um, you know, cultural, um, those kinds of things were very important for them. So well-being in a general sense, holistic education, um, cultural connections, all those things were significant. Um, belonging, fulfillment, all those things. But the parents and kids talked about, well, when those things are, are, are going well, people tend to do well on the test course that comes naturally from that. So it's interesting to ask and just say, what's important to you? Um, And I think that's really significant. And it's just interesting that doesn't happen maybe as much as we'd think it would. So all of this work talked about that. So with student success and parent involvement, like what does it mean?
1: Do you think that that is a result of professional development or do you think that's uh, a result of, or can we benefit from incorporating that into curriculum or Um, Should it just be a professional development thing and a responsibility of the instructor or professor teacher? so on and so forth on a broad scale. I mean,
2: Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard because I think um, oftentimes with education, we also have these big, broad policies, like everyone fits in, you know, everyone fits into the same thing, right? Everyone has to do the same thing. Everyone's learning the same thing, being assessed the same way, um, you know, being taught the same thing. Everything is standardized. Yeah. And yeah, so it's hard to get to everyone and have everybody be happy. Like I find uh, that really difficult as an instructor myself. I'm a teacher too, right? A post-secondary, but still a teacher. And it's really hard to, you know, no matter what you do, people aren't in my classes. There's a lot of people who don't like what I do. And it's hard to make everybody happy and to, to support everybody the way that I, I want to and, and, you know, try to do. And so I find that really challenging. And I think with education on such a big scale, um, it's really hard to do. And so what my project and what I think is really important within schools is to take a step back. Yes, we have all these things we have to do. 100%. I get that. But if we can sit down, so in each school community is going to be different. Right. Mm -hmm. So taking time, I think, is significant to uh, and I would encourage that professional development, just being aware of this, that it's important or a promising practice because it was identified by the people I spoke to saying we need this. We should have this. Yeah. If we have, um, you know, students come to the table in an authentic way, brought to the table in an authentic way, parents and um, families brought to the table um, in a genuine way and say, you know, what does success mean to you within our school community? And then how do we build steps and actions to help achieve that? Because this is important to you within school, we have to do this other stuff. I get that. But like, what else can we do? Or can these things align? But what's important for us as a school community, and and include that in our school plans, I think is important. Yeah,
0: I want to kind of just go back, because like, when I was reading through the report, um, you did focus groups, how many schools did you do them in? oh, I have to
2: think about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what I thought was really interesting is um, how you did the focus groups. And if you want to touch a little bit on that, like, unless I mistake, oh,
2: I got to get close to the mic.
0: <laughs> um, but you guys, you kind of approach the focus groups, not just from kind of like a sterile academic sense. Like yep. there was, can you tell us a little bit about how you ran the focus groups um, sure. and why that's
2: relevant for this project? Sure, sure. And I think, to be honest, there's lots of learnings that can be this project was with Indigenous youth and parents of Indigenous youth. Um, And so it's a bit of a different project. But I still think that, again, along with community engagement, right, so engaging um, educators, engaging education, education stakeholders in the project to help design it. Parents are also and students and whoever you're are involved in that project are, you know, important participants as well. So asking, you know, or thinking credit, like thinking, you know, how can we do this better or what would be you know an environment that would work best right and so um, we had so 10 focus groups um, and again this project was cut short because of COVID um, so there was all these other initiatives that were going to be planned but we just didn't get to them um, but um, what we did with this was I went to each school so each school that said that we could go and um, then I could come in and start having a conversation um, that uh, kind of let me in, right? Answered all my emails I sent. Um, so first you start there, yeah. And then they say, yes, you can come in, have a conversation, you have a conversation. But the idea is, again, each school is different. And I'm not an expert on your school, you are. So what would work best in your school environment? Who do you want to be there? How would you like to run this? So every focus group was different. And we also just called them, you know, circles or, or you know, conversations. I think research is a scary word. And I think that, began because of the history of how research has been done by extracting information and taking it from people versus doing research with people and giving Absolutely. it back. I think that there is that negative idea about research, understandably. So again, building yeah. those relationships with each school, going back all those times to help create um, you know, a conversation where we would engage parents and, and youth in a meaningful way. What does that look like for you and what would you like to see? So each uh, you know, focus group that we have um, we had uh, a meal together. Sometimes there was entertainment, um, but, you know, inviting people in the evening. So it was like a whole evening event. And so in only like an hour of that was actually sitting down and talking about these things. Um, And so to build that community and that kind of trust, that understanding, that familiarity, right? To actually be able to share what people want to say, um, which is sometimes very sensitive, right? Um, And so elders were always present facilitating the conversations. Um, So we always had childcare, bus tickets given um, for transportation costs. Um, There was elders facilitating the uh, focus groups being there, helping to kind of facilitate the conversation. Um, And uh, we always had a big meal together beforehand. We all sat down together to share uh, you know, break bread, share meals together, um, and then have the conversation, and then at the end, gifts were given, um, an appreciation of people participating. So, um, I work with this amazing um, elder, and she picks the books because she's always like, "Oh, literacy, literacy is important too. Let's get letter- literacy in there." And I 100 think that's amazing. So we pick books together. She picks the ones that she thinks would be really helpful for kids, um, indigenous themed books about history, language, all those things um, for kids. We she picks them out, and then we give those as gifts at the end, so then they can take something with them afterwards. So um, really, kind of. A, it's kind of a community event, right? Mm-hmm. Like talking is only a part of it. Um, and at the end, she often read books to the kids. Um, the elder I work with often read books to the kids and then sent them off with their own books. Like it's a it's a big event where everybody is recognized and appreciated and honored for their time they they spend. Um, and so that's how we did them. But again, every focus group was different. Yeah. Some schools wanted uh, the people who served the food to be a class that they had. So they invited them or the student leadership students. They came and they did the childcare or whatever. Or we had, you know, this person or that person was invited um where we did it in this room or that room where we had this food or that food like it was very specific to each school community um and so again everything should reflect the people who are participating and what they feel is important in that time and so that's how my focus groups ran takes a lot of time yeah lots of emails lots of sorting out but but it's important Mm -hmm. like I believe in my heart this is a good way to do projects yeah So. so then um
0: so what did you find out and I think like that's honestly like a natural progression to you did these focus groups, which were all unique to the environments, to the yeah. schools, um, but also that really facilitate probably a greater openness and yes. honesty. Yeah. So what'd you find out?
2: Yeah. So um, talking about so again, um the bigger report I did, which was like 100 pages, right? Because I talked to different audiences, right? So like how I would, you know, share like the reports that we have for schools that we're disseminating. Like if I gave them just like a, you know, paper that just had, you know, words on them, it's like, it's not as engaging. 100 pages of that would be hard to read, right? So we do these reports and we broke them down into um, summary reports that were about student success and parent involvement. But again, these are connected and part of the same project, but just for ease of sharing information and making it kind of a, narrowing it down to kind of a digestible kind of a, you know, amount of information and fewer pages and things like that one was on a summary report is based on student success and one was about parent involvement and so there's these summary pages at the end of each one which i i love yeah and I, I can also, share these <laughs> yeah.
0: i also very much appreciated those when i was going through the research and i was like oh, it's all right and it's like kind of framed as like tips yeah which is great um and we'll absolutely link to those um in the episode description but yeah
2: do you want to walk us through it a little bit sure so the overarching um the overarching promising practice, and they are promising practices, because one of the things we talked about, well, how, how are they become promising practices, is that they were identified as such by the people participating. They said, this is important to us over and over and over and over and over again. So we had promising practices, but also part of that understanding about definitions. And, and so um, for definitions of student success, um, so from an Indigenous lens, so talking to Indigenous um, youth and parents of Indigenous um, youth, and so the definitions of student success included a holistic vision of success that included spiritual, mental, physical, um, and emotional well-being, personal goals and values, cultural learning and connections, a strong cultural identity, belonging and fulfillment, and academic achievement was also part of that. So when we're talking about what does student success mean to you, it's bigger than test scores. It's bigger than high school completion. It's there, but kind of secondary to these other things like fulfillment and and, um, well-being. And then with talking about um, Indigenous parent involvement, um, understanding and and so talking about that, defining that, um, what we did find was that parent involvement was associated with parents feeling that their voice was being heard um, at their children's school, parents working alongside educators to support their children's education, um, and parents also having a shared understanding about what and how their children are doing in school. Um, and so wanting to be part of that conversation, wanting to be part of the schooling process for their child. So being part of that in an authentic way. Um, and then part of that is also the history. So that came up a lot. Um, and so the history of residential schooling, the history of these um, policies and practices that have happened throughout history, that there's kind of been this broken relationship between Indigenous families and schools. And so the need to rebuild that in a positive way. Um, and part of that is recognizing, you know, that parents wanna be involved and have a lot to offer and contribute in a meaningful way. And so inviting them to the table um, to help shape their child's education, very significant. Um, And so those were things that came out in terms of parent involvement and also student success in terms of how people are thinking about it. Um, And then the promising practices, there are many of them, um, but really clear promising practices for both supporting student success and also supporting parent involvement um, was a person and a place. So person and a place. So if we're talking about policies that come out of this or initiatives that come out of this work that I did with Edmonton Public, um, a person in a place was very significant and came very, very clear as promising practices for both of these. This was the primary one. So a person, by what I mean by that is an Indigenous self-identified Indigenous liaison worker, an elder, a knowledge keeper working in schools. And so this person helps to, um, you know, build relationships with the kids, check in on them. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? How can I support you? Just being that constant person there um, to support the kids' emotional development or emotional well-being. you know, social connections, all those kinds of things, cultural connections, um, that person being that for the kids, that person also being there for parents. um, Because if uh, there's a person there, I can reach out to that I'm comfortable with and I know um, kind of facilitates that connection with the schools and that relationship with the school. So being kind of that person that parents can reach out to and feel comfortable doing that. So having a person very important. And also having a place. So having a space in schools where parents and kids can gather, um, where cultural programming can happen was also very significant, um, for kids feeling comfortable, feeling a sense of belonging, feeling welcomed, um, having connections with their peers, building those relationships, um, and also where parents can come, um, for gathering as well. So a person in a place where the primary, like we have
0: here at the university, um, So having a space like that be part of a public school. Yes, a safe Um, space. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really interesting because you came right off of this research project kind of at Ben Calf Robe, but seeing how they operate and like, do you think that they're, I mean, is this a model that could easily have aspects of the education there that could adapt to Edmonton Public? Like you're talking like having some cultural teaching, having like, do we need just one school
2: with Indigenous
0: programming and cultural teachings? Of- For sure.
2: So that's a really good point. And I think, um, so generally speaking, if broader learnings, like, I, you know, that's some, a person in a place can be applied to any school. Yeah. hire Indigenous staff have a space for Indigenous kids and families to gather and anyone else who wants to learn, right? Because Indigenous staff uh, and uh, this Indigenous liaison worker or a self-identified Indigenous person working in schools, they can also help teachers to authentically incorporate Indigenous content in classrooms. So I forgot to mention that, but that's also something that they can provide potentially, right? So having a person in a place is very significant and that could be in any school um, and I think is important for any school. I heard that over and over and over and over and over again. Benkaff is amazing and they do amazing, amazing things. I don't think every school can be like that. It's a program of choice, but definitely They're doing some great things. And a person, a place is something they have. They have lots of people and they have – the whole school is a beautiful place, right? Yeah.
0: I'm just thinking like programming. Like in my high school, like you could take Mandarin. And it wasn't just a language class. It was a class where you learned about like culture. So if you had each school had a person in a place but that also offered like culturally relevant programming that could be taken optional like a French class or a Spanish class or a Mandarin class. Like we have all of these – cultural classes you can take in schools but we don't really as far as i know in edmonton public have a lot of indigenous programming yet
2: so the thing with that is like so i think saying a person in a place is, is you know that's something any school can do and broadly speaking and that came from this this is specific to edmonton public but i yeah. think is a broader learning that any school can kind of take and say oh this is a little tip i can take and i can try to do something like this in my school okay but generally speaking there has been a bigger push starting with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission coming out saying we need mandatory um, curriculum about Indigenous um, histories, about the history of residential schooling, the legacy of residential schooling, about treaties, about um, the contributions of Indigenous peoples to Canada. So the TRC came out and said, we need this, it should be mandatory. And so that is a big call. And all schools, provinces and territories have committed in some way to say we will start doing this um and a lot of schools like you know even in social studies and things like that have incorporated the people are starting to um and there is work to be done with that another call to action is you know um, teacher training um, to help support this curriculum so it needs to happen and it is happening slowly but um I think that we have a long way to go for sure mm-hmm. um and so that's you know person a place we need that but p- schools should be doing this you need to be doing this you should should. should be doing this and this is very significant. When we talk about our our education system, um, our schools and curriculum, uh, school curricula, school structures really have uh, their foundations and colonial roots. And yeah. so a broader, you know, bigger than my projects, bigger than, you know, like talking about Canada as a whole, we need to have mandatory curriculum that teaches about the history. Very significant um, teacher training that supports that, but also bringing parents and caregivers um, to the table to contribute and share uh, knowledge, but also help to shape um, education processes. Yeah. We need people at the table because... Because when we have an education system, where our schools continue to focus on practices and indicators of success that reflect uh, Eurocentric priorities, um, that's really problematic. So transforming what we teach and how we teach it, very important. Part of that is bringing parents, elders, knowledge keepers to the table to help inform curriculum, teacher training, all those things, very significant. And also what we're doing in schools, what's important to you and how do we help achieve that, right, beyond test scores and these kind of structures that we have in place. All those things are very significant. Um, and educators have to be kind of equipped with the capacity to do that. So we have a long way to go. Um, and we've been called to action over and over. So am I, right? I've mm-hmm. I've been called to action too. We need to have learning about these things in our schools. Um, it, we just need to have it. And so I think we are on the path to do that. Um, and I've studied that for a long time too, but I think we definitely have a long way to go. I yeah. Definitely.
0: A hundred percent. So yeah, we talked about a person in a place probably coming out as one of the Like, even when I was reading it, it was like, this is something almost everybody mentioned. I do want to touch on just a little bit. I don't want to really focus on maybe the barriers that are there. Um, I do want to talk about what you found were the greatest barriers to student and parent participation, but also maybe about a few other things that came out as promising practices that could be easily adopted um, so that we can, like, Theoretically start making changes soon. Um, mm-hmm. so what were the greatest barriers that you guys found um that people were explaining were were preventing them maybe or making them hesitant to participate in the education process?
2: Sure. So again, it's a history, right? Like I've I've heard over and over again about broken relationships between families and schools. And so, you know, authentically inviting parents to the table. Like it's, you know, I, I think, you know, person to place is significant, but all the stuff we've been talking about is relevant to that, right? Like creating uh Welcoming parents to the school um, in a genuine, authentic way, recognizing and honoring their knowledge and contributions and making sure that parents are are feeling welcome and respected and and, um, that there's a place for them to be there and that, that schools want them to be there um they are so, all parents are so knowledgeable and have so much knowledge to share. And in particular, Indigenous parents, right? So inviting parents to come um, and be part of the education process, very, very significant. And so opening spaces for those conversations are really important and definitely promising practice. Because again, the barriers have been that, you know, going back to the history, parents were removed entirely from the education process. Yeah, So kids went to residential schools. Families were entirely removed. That was the purpose of these schools. And so now to say, oh, you should be here, right? Remember I talked about the Alberta Education Act and all these processes and policies that say you must be here, you should show up, you need to do this. Well, that's really different than often how parents... Uh, parents' parents went and and how their education experience so and often people have had um, really negative experiences in schooling and so it's important to recognize that um, you know everybody has a different approach to supporting their children's education or can't participate the same way Um, and so honoring that but also making sure people are invited um, you know that people are welcomed in a meaningful way um, and appreciated for the contributions that they can have so that's very important Um, so that's a barriers the history 100 percent okay um and a promising practice yeah. around that is inviting people to the table in an authentic way.
0: Okay. Um so then what's next? Like you say that your work is intended to like raise awareness but also to influence policy. So how does a project like this
2: become a policy? Um like a person in the place kind of policy or just more awareness? Like so what I was doing was um working with so whenever you work in partnership with schools, yeah. So I The people who are, you know, school administrators and things like that are part of the conversation. Um, and are guiding the projects that we do. Um, And so when you're working in partnership with the school division, for example, or this was funded by Alberta Education, so giving presentations, um, sharing these resources across the province, making sure I'm available to for professional development for teachers. um, And, you know, just like I'm here now, talking, 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 saying this is what I heard. People trusted me with their voices and their stories. And now it's my responsibility to help share that. Um, And so that's part of my responsibility. And I take that very seriously. And so just helping people understand that this is what I heard, this is what's important and what was meaningful and that was shared with me. Um, And so creating an understanding around that and doing presentations and and sharing that knowledge in a broader way, um, very, very important. And so giving presentations to Alberta Education, giving uh, presentations um, virtually right now um, to GOA members and uh, Government of Alberta members, especially in Alberta Education, um, very significant um, doing presentations. The Alberta Research Network um, you know, I did a presentation to them. So we had over hundred um, people sign up for that across Alberta. So listen to me talk about this project and what we learned. Um, so definitely uh, very significant in trying to make positive change.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know. Are we? I just want to know kind of like before we wrap up, um, if there's anything that you're thinking on, Actually, no, I have one very important question that I forgot to ask. Where do you find the time (laughs) (laughs) to go into schools um, to listen and to learn? Because again, like, you know, you're giving all these presentations, PD days, you're actively researching, you've got ongoing projects, you're a professor at the University of McEwen. So where do you find the time to like go into schools and to do that listening and learning?
2: Um, I think it's really important. And I think for me, how I've envisioned my position, like, I think, you know, it's important for me to find myself. So, you know, there's obviously, I'm um, you know, with being an academic, being a faculty member, you have service, you have teaching and you have research. Those are all significant parts to your position. And so what was really helpful for me was that there was a little wiggle room on the service because of me contributing in in community um, kind of counted, um, which was really, really helpful. So I could say, oh, I'm doing this in the broader community. I'm giving presentations. I'm saying I'm from McEwen. I introduce myself that way. I bring kids here all the time before COVID. Busloads of kids, walk them all over the school and make sure they feel included here and you could be here. Welcome kids. Generally, I just think that's a good thing to have kids thinking about post-secondary and that they're welcome yeah. in spaces. Um, so there's lots of things I do, um, you know, related to that, but it all kind of counted. And I I can't be a teacher unless I'm a researcher. Like, you know, and I I don't know, this is maybe a controversial thing to say, but like, you know, if you were going to be, I don't even know if I should say this, but like let's say you're going to learn about soccer. Yes. Right. Would you go to learn from somebody, let's say I want to learn about soccer, right I'd go to someone who plays soccer. Yeah. Right. Who knows about soccer? I'd go to learn from them. Right. And so when you're an active researcher and you're out in community listening, learning, I bring that to my class. I can't be a teacher unless I'm doing that. Um, I can't, I can't, you know, be the teacher I want to be unless I'm in community listening, learning. And then I have experiential learning in my classes. I bring all my kids with me. My, I call them my kids, my big kids, my university kids, my students. (laughs) (laughs) I bring them with me everywhere I go. We're going to all these things. We're volunteering in the community. And then they're able to get give back. They're able to make their connections. Like it all connects. And then my service connects to that. So like I feel like in my head, the vision I have for my position and who I want to be as an academic is that all these things are connected. And I can't do my research unless I'm doing service in the community because those volunteering in that time helps inform the projects that I do. So it's like I can't be a teacher unless I'm a researcher. I can't be a researcher unless I'm in community. And it just kind of keeps going and going and going. And that's how I want to do my work. And that's who I am. Like it all connects. I think that, you know, the work-life balancing is a issue everybody has, but like it's in my heart and I'm very passionate about the work that I do. Um, and, you know, it just, I, I don't feel like I, I could do any of those things mm-hmm. unless the other pieces were there for me to be who I want to be and be the academic and the teacher I want to be.
1: Do you think that's common among peers at the university?
2: Um, I think that, um, I don't know. I think everybody has a different approach. Like, and I think that that's part of, you know, being an academic is finding like, so how do I want to do this? Um, what makes sense for me in my heart and and the work I want to do? Like, what do I want? And I want to contribute in a positive way. So I have found a way to do that, that satisfies what I need as a person and is a job, right? But I, you know, I want to have meaning in the job that I do. And so for me, this is the path that I have chosen that makes sense for me. But there's a lot of people that have different paths and do things very differently, right? Like, you know, people who don't work with people, Right? Like, yeah. there's all kinds of <laughs> research that doesn't involve people. A paleontologist probably, maybe doesn't yeah. need to be doing yeah. research every day
0: in yeah. the community. Yeah. But yeah, like, but health- this
1: goes back to where we started is like, we're all where we need to be. Yes. At this spe- specific point in time. Yeah. And, um, I guess, yeah, that
2: things kind of work out. Yeah. And I think, and I think every faculty member, um, you know, does their own approach that's important to them. And if you were to invite them, they would talk to you passionately about their approach and how it makes we sense hope for them. They do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so this is just my approach and what makes sense in my head, but you know, I think it is different for everybody. Um, And that's the beauty of academics, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's departments and everyone studies every single different thing you can imagine. Well, and in so
0: many interesting um, and different ways. So I'm really excited to explore that. Um, For you, what is next? Do you have any ideas? Do you have any new projects in the works? Like what are you
2: thinking about right now? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, I had a baby, actually. I've uh, mentioned that before we started. So I'm finding a way to bring my little new research assistant who's nine months old and doesn't, you know, we're doesn't really, you know, I've practiced my, my presentations on him and everything like that. And so finding a way to kind of move forward in my new life as a, as a mom also wearing this new hat, I think is also uh, something I'm thinking a lot about. Um, But I have a few projects. I'm at this point, just building those relationships that I've had in the past. I've had people come forward and say, you know, what can we do together or how could we do these projects? So I'm exploring a a few different things right now, but nothing's really materialized uh, in terms of an actual next step or an action plan with projects. It's been nice that these, projects have, I've had several projects that have come to an end around COVID kind of happened, had to happen that way. Um, but now thinking forward, I'm still moving forward with Ben Calf. Yep. Um, you know, things got canceled because of COVID and it was, it broke my heart. Um, and so now picking up again where we left picking off the pieces. Yeah. And trying to to do that in a genuine way, because, you know, when you leave a project and you kind of had to, like, I've literally left library books from our library at their school and then I want to mat leave and it's like, well, I can't get them right. Like everything had to stop. Right. So coming back, um, starting over again um, and doing it the way that we had intended, seeing it all the way through. Um, when you do a project, especially with kids and you say, this is what we're doing, right. They, they're involved, they're excited about it, and then you don't follow through is horrific. Like, how can, how could you do that? That's the worst thing I could have ever thought could happen. Um, and COVID had that happen, right? Like I had planned all these amazing things and we couldn't finish. That's the worst thing I could do. And I've just been, you know, my heart has just broken because of that. So going back and doing the best we can to pick up where we left off, doing all those things we said we were going to do that. I literally spent so much time planning. We will do those things. Um, and starting again with a new cohort of kids.
0: Yeah. And it's gotta be really interesting now too, because like, things have changed like education, um, during COVID, like there's going to be a whole myriad, like new
2: online, everything. Yeah. yeah. Like
0: just a a new, what do you call that? A cluster of problems and new things that people are noticing, like this didn't work for us or this didn't. So it's going to be really interesting with community engagement research. Like you were
2: saying, you go back a year,
0: you go back two years later. Yeah everything's different. Right. So that's going to be
2: really interesting. Yeah. So a period of learning again and building those relationships, going back and trying to, you know, again, building the relationships with the kids, especially when you work with kids, right. You spend so much time, you know, inviting kids to be part of it. Building that trust with children is is really hard to do. Like, yes, they were in grades six, seven and eight, but there's still a lot of, you know, who is this person who's showing up, right. Like, you know, and, and having that relationship with the kids and everybody participating, like those kids have moved on. Are they still there? They've changed. Like kids grow so fast. (laughs) Yeah. So starting over again, really, in a way, but also being true to seeing the project through like I, you know, we promised that we would mm-hmm. do not really promise, but we said we were doing these things. We planned all these things, told them all these things. And, and, you know, I, I have to see that through. I can't not do it. So that's, I think the main goal for this year is going back and seeing how we can try to pick things up again after COVID.
0: Okay. Um, Well, that's everything that I've got. Dylan, how are we feeling?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's wonderful. Uh I just want to say like, these are these are constantly ongoing projects, and they're going to be continuing far far past um, the final reports, yeah. and and impacting communities from from uh, for for hopefully generations, and hopefully making some significant. Uh, change to work towards that truth and reconciliation yeah and i'm really excited to to uh present this podcast to everybody this is fantastic um we are here with dr emily milne thank you so much for having us thank you so much for being here (laughs) yes thank you for having us thank you for allowing us to be uh interviewing you and having you on the podcast this has been such a great conversation Mm -hmm. and i hope uh inspiring a lot of people to see how they can make a difference and their calls to action towards, um, our, our commitment to truth and reconciliation. Um, do you have anything that you would like to no, add before, I we just, end?
0: Before, um, I thank you. I just always love to leave it with people. Um, so if you have any last thoughts, any insights or like calls to action as well that you want to leave us with, I think the end is a good space to just, maybe we forgot to ask something very important. So yeah, I just want to leave it with you.
2: Sure. Um, I think we talked about everything. I think just again, um, you know, creating space for voice is really important. Um, and I think that that's been really significant in all of my projects. Um, you know, having opportunities within schools and teachers, as we talked about, like we already talked about this, but just, I think again, um, having an opportunity, it's important for schools and teachers to empower families to see themselves as partners in their education, um, and their children's education, um, and creating opportunities for, um, you know, for them to have their voice heard, their contributions valued and their meaningful engagement in school improvement honored. So I think again, just a voice that people have so much to share. Um, it's kind of like a three-legged stool. I think of education, it's like the child is there. So it's Supporting the child's education. The kid has to be there. You know, the teachers and schools have to be there, but the parents and family have to be there as well. And so how do we all come together to support kids, I think is really important. And so just voice, um, spending time listening and learning um, really helps even research processes, right? Like, so that's important for education, spending time listening to educational participants, their voices, right? Like what do people have to say? And honestly, it helps improve um, the education system and processes. And I would just say, you know, that is a good thing to, to, to focus on and to consider, um, And then also with research, like I think it's important for educators or sorry, for researchers um, to consider engaging the people who they are researching, right, or the educational or research participants in the research processes, because every single time it has made all of my projects way better than I could ever imagine. So taking time to say, you know, what do you think about this? Would you like to be involved in this? Um, I think that there's a lot of value in that. Um, And so including people in projects, I think has enhanced everything I have done. And so I would just uh, say consider that if you had
0: okay well thank you so much emily again for being here um this has been research recasted
1: Uh, stay cool everyone (laughs) oh is that your tagline stay cool (laughs)
0: i don't know we might have to edit that
1: (laughs) stay cool that's what we ended on we
0: don't have a tagline yet i just don't think we
1: need a tagline
0: okay I do.
1: You've been listening to Research Recasted. My name is Dylan Cape. I'm here with Brittany Eklund, and we have been uh, graced with the presence of Dr. Emily Milne. Uh, Thank you so much for watching, watching, watching. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And this is all going to be edited later. We are going to insert the credits of the podcast here.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to keep the party going, don't forget to check out the links in the episode description.
1: This has been another episode of Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Art and Communications at McEwen University.
0: You can support this podcast by listening on your favorite podcasting platforms with new episodes launching every two weeks. And don't forget to follow and give us a like on Instagram at Research Recasted.
1: Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. Music, sound design and editing by Dylan Cave with research, copy editing and scripting by Brittany Eklund.
0: Our executive producers are Cynthia Pudu, Jason Malenko and Ray Burry.
1: Thanks for watching and stay cool.
0: Stay cool.